very special episode of Bible Buddies. It is a part two of an episode that I did with Trans Regret Snoopy on the podcast Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible, which I will link in the podcast description. Go listen to it now because it this one may not make sense unless you listen to that one. And plus, it's just a good show. It's just a good show. Uh, thanks. Yeah. You, um, you're a second time guest. You want to uh, reintroduce yourself real quick? Uh, yeah, my name is Trans Regret Snoopy. Uh, I have a Bible study podcast called Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Um, I am a Christian podcaster, uh, reformed shitlord, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on uh, once again. Thank you for having me because this is, I consider it basically a part two of our conversation on Hebrews. So Jeremiah and Hebrews have uh, a lot in common, actually. So when I was uh, asked to come on your show, I didn't just read, I think we did Hebrews 8 or 9? Nine? 9, yeah. 9. We did Hebrews 9. So I read the first uh, 9 or 10 chapters in in the book. Uh, and I was like, hey, wait a minute. There's a section which just directly quotes Jeremiah, which is the next book that I happen to be doing. Uh, so naturally, it just made sense to kind of continue on where we left off. And I, I think a good place to start. I mean, we can talk about the rest of the book. Uh, but let's jump to actually Hebrews 8, uh, 7. Let's get some page turning sound effects here. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, very here. Let me. <laughs> I hope this is picking up. Okay. Um. <clears throat> uh, for if the that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion for the second. For he finds fault with them when he says. The days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, so I paid no heed to them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And they shall not teach everyone his fellow or everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their inequities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he treats the first as obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is now ready to vanish away. So that first like little section from the days will come uh, to, I guess, whatever, uh, line 12, line 13, basically, it comes directly from uh, Jeremiah, which is uh, chapters, uh, chapter 31, lines 31 to 34. So let's flip back to that and uh, we can check that it says basically the same thing. Yeah, it does. And, and this is, um, 
it's interesting to talk about the formation of a new covenant this early in the Old Testament, um, because uh, in in most Christian beliefs, the new the new covenant is the um, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, so, all the way back here, in uh, the, one of the major prophets, we already see them talking about it. And you did Isaiah already, right? Yeah, I did. I did. I did Isaiah. Um, it's funny. I did it with Pat and he said, oh, look at this part. It uh, foretells the coming of Christ. And I was like, I just don't see it. There's, <laughs> there, there's a section where I, I can't remember what it talks about, like the, what the line is, but it it, it seems it's treated like a much bigger deal. It's like at the beginning of Isaiah. Um, but anyway, uh, long story short, it's like, yeah, I didn't see it in Isaiah, but I definitely see it now. I, I see it's like, my God, it's, it's, he's coming. There's they're foreshadowing. There's foreshadowing in the Bible about stuff that's going to happen. It, it is it is foretold uh, and puts another uh, another point in the predestination bucket or, or category. Like, I mean, all right. So let me ask you, how uh, do you do you think do you believe in predestination? Um. Yes and no. Uh, that's a complicated question, right? Because what, in what context do I believe that since since the um, the the tribes the uh, the tribes of the original covenant started to kind of turn away from God, uh, do I think that God started to go, uh, okay, what we're doing here isn't working, and we need to try something else, um, and the groundwork. I think was laid in the Old Testament. Uh, do I think that every thing that happens to each and every one of us is written already? No, no, I don't think so. Because I, I think that that doesn't, first of all, leave any room for free will, which the Bible discusses. Uh, it doesn't leave any room for um, real, true um, growth and forgiveness and and learning. Um, and this is probably a longer answer than you wanted. No, this but. is exactly this is exactly the kind because that's something that I struggle with is like that notion of again squaring away all of the instances in which God you know uh, foretells or directly intervenes with uh, people's lives and abilities. So I mean, even just starting off Jeremiah, it's like it's it's I think it's in Jeremiah one. Uh, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Uh, I uh, Then it's one nine. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Uh, see, I have set you this day over kingdoms, etc. Which, I mean, that's a, a thing that has happened before. It's happened with Moses, uh, where it's like, oh, like, but God, I'm not very eloquent, or I'm not very smart. Who will believe me? And then God's saying, I will speak for you, essentially, or speak through you. Which, I, I, I don't know, like, I mean, th th there's an element of it feels like, I mean, if you're reading it literally, God taking control, if you're reading it metaphorically, then it's just like, oh, it just means it's divinely inspired, you know? There are, like, two super important topics that I want to split, I want to splinter this conversation, because two different things are kind of happening here when we're talking about the prophets, um, of which there are three major prophets and, like, a bunch of minor prophets, Um that people uh, have generally kind of come to believe were um, ordained by God to be messengers of the word. Not that they, they weren't in and of themselves like fortune tellers. They weren't um, like, 
hovering over like a, a, a cauldron, like uh, saying incantations to um, to make things happen. They're like not witches or like warlocks or whatever. They were simply like these messengers of the word. Right. And in that way, I, I think that those people were called in a unique way. Um, and they're, they're foretelling things that did happen, whether or not you believe that they happened because of God's will and because of God's actions is, you know, another question, right? But if you have any religious, like if you have any belief in God at all, then you just kind of have to, it sort of goes along with that, right? Yeah. Um, but this notion of predestination as a more universal thing in each one of us is an inch more interesting one to me because I saw this passage in Jeremiah 1, 5, which is reflected in other places like the Psalms, um, the Psalms of David, I believe. Um, he says, uh, actually, one. we'll start at 1, 4. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The first section of 1-5 is like truncated so often by like pro-life people who are trying to make this argument that um, like this, this was, this is God saying specifically that like each one of us was specifically formed in the womb uh, as, uh, you yeah, know, for, for, each, for a specific purpose. Exactly. Like we're, all, we're all little prophets, you know, as opposed to, no, it's just Jeremiah who God intervened in this particular instance for a specific purpose. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I'm not saying that um, God doesn't have a hand in our creation. I absolutely believe that, like wholeheartedly. But this notion of God knowing you in the womb before you were born is one that I think is like super inspiring to me because I love this idea that as somebody who's uh, you know, of, of the transsexual persuasion, uh, that to know that like, this wasn't a mistake, actually it's, it's like a double, it's like flipped on its head, right? God knew that God knew, uh, it's, it's really kind of baffling to me, but I love those sorts of biblical tensions. I love it when I'm challenged to think, okay, so if you don't really believe that everything is always written in stone already, if you don't believe that, um, your story has already been written, then how would God know you before you were born? Yeah, no, exactly. And that's like that, that, that that's the paradox of it, like and trying to reconcile that, like my current, I guess, stance on the kind of predestination question, which is, I mean, evolving as I read through this book and just kind of grapple with things in general, like I read a lot of uh, before reading this, I was doing reading a lot of uh, Ligotti, um, who I don't know. It's, he's, he's, he's an interesting author. He's got some good stories. I think a lot of it's kind of overblown. But anyways, uh, like the, the concept of like, yeah, like how how much uh, how much do we control? Like what exactly is a self that is able to exert any kind of free will? And basically the answer I've, I've got right now is it's just impossible for us to know. It's just like it, it probably is true that, you know, we're, we're not. But like, how would we know even if we weren't? You know, we really just have to act uh as if we do, like, that's basically like, if you could say we're, we're fated, uh, in, in a way it's like, we're fated to, uh, believe we have control. Like, that's the thing we can't control is we can't, uh, we can't control that. We always feel like we're controlling ourselves. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, to say that we would have no control over ourselves at all at any point in our lives is to say that like, we're not capable of making mistakes or sinning because if our actions are already written, then why then does sin occur? Yeah. Um, and, and that's establishment of the free will, which is the humans falling away from God and, and, and breaking the, the first covenant really the first understanding, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I've got you. Uh, I've, I've put you here in this beautiful place, everything you could ever need. You never have to wear any clothes because you're not embarrassed to be naked. You're, um, you know, you, you, you are taken care of. And the, the, uh, the breaking of that initial bond was what led to humans being not left to their own resources per se, but, um, left at times to, make their own mistakes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean that in itself, like, I think we touched on this is the, the notion that like, I think it's explained that like, Oh, the tree of uh, life gives kind of like a godlike vitality and the tree of knowledge gives knowledge like God. Right. And you know, man having half of that equation kind of implies that we have so- some understanding that's, you know, um, I mean, great, greater than we definitely would have had uh, within Within the garden, for sure. And uh, since we're on the topic of covenants, I don't want to. I don't want to change course too quickly. Oh, no. it's, it all... But th- this notion of covenants, and and this is um, going to go back to thirty-one that we were um, referring to before. Um, the notion of a new covenant that God creates is directly um, in even in Hebrews nine, where um, we were talking about. Well, there's a lot of sections in the epistles of the New Testament that talk about circumcision. Very important topic to them at the time. Um, I, but still, this, I think it's still important now. People, A lot of people are very, uh, very emotional about circumcision. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of people wandering around with like bloody white pants on around Portland. So I, <laughs> yeah. I know that. Um, but the uh, this concept of, okay, well, our first... Our first covenant was that um, in exchange for these physical sacrifices, or I should say, uh, in trying to set this first uh, this first established covenant with Moses, um, not in the Garden of Eden, but much later than that, when the um, the Ten Commandments were handed down, um, the, everything that had to do with the sacrifices that were made for God, the sacrifices that people made of themselves, were these physical sacrifices, right? They would consecrate their body by cutting off their foreskin. They would offer up sacrifices of blood and of uh, wheat and of, um, you know, these physical things that God didn't need, right? Why, what God, what use would God have for a dead goat? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think, I think there's an element of like the, the concept of blood belonging to God like blood is like where life is stored in the body and so it uh it belongs to God and to take it for yourself is like to usurp his position which is why um like for example with kosher foods like if you're eating like an animal it has to be bled out thoroughly before you can cook and eat it and uh also why you're not allowed to eat live animals uh how do you eat a live animal uh I mean you put it in your mouth and just swallow (laughs) that's like it's how you like how you eat anything else <laughs> with a fork. <laughs> I was um, <laughs> that's that's quite a mental picture. 
Yeah. I was um a whole cow. <laughs> Gotta unhinge your jaw. Down the hatch. Mm-hmm. Um uh so in blood, right, in, in the the physical sacrifice was um was this um consecration of the bond, right? This this first covenant. Yeah. And as uh in in the time of Jeremiah, as people were continuing to observe this first covenant. They were still giving these sacrifices. They were still worshiping in the ways that they were directed to worship. They were following in some manner of ways, in, in the loosest probably possible definition, they were kind of following the rules. So God God sees it and goes, like, okay, you're doing it, but like you're the, this is like the worst possible way that you could be doing this, right? You're, you're doing it, but like this is not in a way that glorifies me. So... He says in 31 that a new covenant will be written. Uh, I'll put my law within them. And so this is my little um, parentheses here. So rather than them being on the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So you write it on the heart of somebody. This is no longer like a physical thing. It's not even one of these lovely Bibles that we um, that we all uh, read constantly. Uh, it's <laughs> it's the the consecration of God's love that is felt from within us, which is where in Hebrews um, and in other epistles, uh, Paul and other writers start to say, "Ease off on this circumcision thing." It's like not this is not what it's all about. You know, you don't need to do this anymore. Like if you want to go ahead, but, um, it's not required for the forgiveness or the salvation of God. Like he's, he's got a new plan. He's got this new idea. There's a groovy new guy in town. He's got a new, a new kind of circumcision for you. And you're, <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna love this one. It's circumcision, circumcision 2.0. <laughs> circumcision 2. <laughs> and it's. I, I thought you were gonna um, bring bring up uh, Jeremiah four uh, four, which is uh, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. Oh, oh! I should have I should have brought that up. Okay, yeah. so can we talk about? Can, can we, talk we talk about, about <laughs> removing the foreskin of your heart? You bet. Let's jump right in there. If we were to form a, of ourselves. There's a lot of very tactile language in Jeremiah, which I really like. I'll be honest. When you when you asked me to do this one with you, I was like, yeah, sure, Jeremiah. That sounds like it'd be a trip. <laughs> yeah. And then I looked and I remember sending you a message like two days later. And I was like, it's 52 chapters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sometimes do that with people because, I mean, I, it's I'm going into this blind. So I'm like, oh, like, what do I have? I have Zechariah coming up. Sure. Do you want to do that one? And then I get to it and it's like. I think with Pat, he has very bad luck because every time <laughs> I try and do a thing with him, it's like like Isaiah is 60-something chapters. This is actually just God's way of working through you to get Pat to, to you know, follow Christ. Yeah, well, no, he's he's already, he's far more Christian than I am. He's a, <laughs> he's a devout Catholic, I believe. It's just, uh, I think he actually said at one point, he's like, look, all the chap- all the, the books that you're making me read are awful. You're turning me off of the Bible. <laughs> you gotta, gotta get some good ones in there, otherwise I'm, you know, I'm there's gonna a fall. Very, uh, there's a very New Testament centric uh, mindset in in Christianity in general. 
uh, for obvious reasons, not just the message of Christ, but it's so important to like reflect back on even the prophets that were saying like, okay, look, this is coming and you can't forget about all this old stuff, especially because when we did, um, Deuteronomy. Yes. Um, when we did that, I remember going through a lot of that and, and being like, this is exhausting. These rules are exhausting. Like it's a lot of history too, but there's like a lot of this sort of like prescriptive yeah. uh, language that feels so foreign to us now because we live in a world that is entirely different uh, in, in almost every single way than what they were going through then. Uh, which is why I find like the prophets so much more fascinating because they're not obviously like there's lots of uh, like uh, there's lots of scolding going on in this. There's lots of um, people being accused of, um, you know, sexual immorality and indulgences and things like that. But it feels to me like a little more um, lilting or like uh, a little more like look with its eyes towards the sky instead of trying to command people on earth. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's people. So, I mean, yeah, the, the difference between the two is you have Deuteronomy where it's like, oh, here is how things are going to go. Like we have this brand new like future we're marching towards having just uh, left Egypt, we fled and we are saved and Israel is coming soon and everything's going to be good. And we you know, need to build uh, the tabernacle by however many cubits. And this is how you sacrifice a bull uh, to jeremiah where it's like we did all of that and they're still doing that but it's not making them like we're still not with god you know we're still uh bad people in a way right <laughs> like you could follow all of the rules like the you know levitical and Deuter deuteronomical rules and still uh i guess be be sinful the um the metaphor that i think is really clear is like um a marriage that this is like, uh, God, God's like, you're my bride. Oh yeah. And so rather than, I don't think that this book is necessarily like saying that you're, um, not fulfilling your bridely duties, but it's like, you've got like a side, like a side piece. You're like, yeah. you're like slamming some strange on the side and you're, um, you're worshiping these other idols and, and um, behaving in these ways that while you might be checking off all the boxes and the dishes are always done when I come home and like the dinner dinner's <laughs> on the table or whatever, yeah. uh, you're, you're disgracing us in this way by behaving yeah. like this. Yeah. And there's a lot of, um, you know, God uh, kind of uh, threatening or I guess Jeremiah telling people what, what exactly the horrors that are going to befall them. And I can't help but think that this would have been taken as uh, proof of God's love in the same way that, you know, there are certain kinds of very sick people out there uh, who mess around on the side and like kind of uh, piss off their partner for the explicit, uh, like explicit reason of trying to make them jealous. Uh, <laughs> because if they get jealous, that means they're afraid of losing you. And that means that they really love you. You know, like if God is willing to smite all of Jerusalem and Judah uh, because you've uh, you know, you know, worshipped a bit of ball on the side, then it means that God definitely does love you and is not, well, you know, I guess, uh, had those people, but they decided to go a different path. Well, you know, we're both growing as it's like, no, he wants them back. And because he wants them back, that's why he's, uh, uh, punching holes in the metaphorical drywall. <laughs> 
slamming the slamming the dinner plate on the table. Yeah, exactly. And he's um, doing it because he loves us. <laughs> he can't like I was re- reading that as I was going through this, you know. Uh, that and also like I feel like it's uh, whenever like it's like the concept of Jerusalem or like you know uh, the people of Israel as like the brides or the maidens of God, and it comes up in Lamentations as well. Like I feel like that you know that's it couldn't couldn't get out of my head that that kind of seemed to be like oh that's the kind of relationship that that they had back then. We should mention that it's it's sort of like commonly understood but not fully like believed necessarily or like proven that jeremiah was responsible for limitations as well yeah that's another it's i mean there's the the theory that possibly even jeremiah wasn't responsible for all of jeremiah may have been uh his scribe baruch uh who um it's funny that's actually one hebrew word that i know it means blessing (laughs) (laughs) retained exactly like three vocabulary and that's that's one of them i was very happy but yeah it, it may have been him uh just because apparently like uh, tonally uh the translation shifts about halfway through can we um circle back quickly to uh the circumcision of, of the heart and try to form in our heads a uh a, a visual of what heart. a heart foreskin looks like and what yeah. it would mean to circumcise the heart yeah, we can rotate it 3D in our heads, our imaginations, the theater of the mind. Because <laughs> I can't. I really, I, I really can't. I and mean, <laughs> I, I feel like it's 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 like what uh, the foreskin of the heart would be like your your skin and rib cage and stuff. You know, like in the way that you have your um, foreskin, right? Which is like it's like a sheath. It's like a shield around your penis. It like you know, it protects it from. Uh, dirt and fingers and stuff right but like when it's removed it's like you're open and vulnerable so maybe a, a circumcised heart would be a very vulnerable and open heart like the um yeah it's like opening yourself up to yeah. god by um cutting your chest open and exposing your your beating heart that's right <laughs> that's my theory anyway that's i don't know what, what did you picture i mean that was pretty much it i you know i i can't think of a way that altering the, the physical form of, of one's heart. It, it, obviously, I know this is a metaphor, right? Yeah. But um, in, in every metaphor, there's supposed to be like this layer of, here is the physical way that this occurs, and then here is the meaning of th- what that is. Um, and I, can't, I still can't even like really put it together in my head. But yeah. it's, um, it is, I think, mostly... Just a reminder that, like, um, you can build up walls around yourself even while you think that you are being holy or being pious or, um, you know, all these kings that that um, that kind of came and went throughout Jeremiah's time who genuinely believed that they were doing not just what would please God, but they were doing what would please their people. And ultimately, they were, like, leading their people to doom. And every time that Jeremiah would try to tell them, like, dudes, knock it off. This is not, <laughs> this is bad. It's not going well for you. And, and it's, um, and it's just going to get worse. They would, they were livid. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, they would imprison him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the first thing that, that came to, I mean, so obviously like, you know, he goes through the, the three kind of stages, right. Of the first is that all of his friends and people make fun of him and then, uh, they get mad at him. And then, 
uh, threatened to kill him and then imprison him. And I couldn't help but think of that uh, famous quote, which is, first they ignore you, then they mock you, then they fight you, then you win. <laughs> which uh, is, as far as I'm aware, it's attributed to Donald Trump. I mean, he says it, it's from Gandhi, but apparently that's not true. And so I love uh, misquotes like that yeah. so much because you often find that like the it's not only yeah Trump versus Gandhi like that's a funny mix up oh, yeah. but sometimes it's like I was looking up a quote from uh, that was credited to, like it's regularly quoted uh, credited to, like Aristotle or something it's talking about how uh, you know building up successful habits is uh, it's it's not about uh, like building your skills necessarily but the habits that help you build those skills that make you successful yeah um, this is part of my uh, my other life. Yeah, hab- habit is virtue or virtue yeah, is habit. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, and so the the exact quote that most people use for it is actually from some like little-known English author who was who was writing a, uh, a who was paraphrasing something that Aristotle said and kind of expounded on it. And so this this little guy who yeah. you know much way fewer people actually know about found a way to say something that was so much better than what Aristotle originally said that yeah. now everyone's going, yeah, that Aristotle guy was a genius. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's like the funny thing with quotes is especially like, I mean, I was reading uh, on Twitter. Um, I mean, I think the thread was about something else, but someone mentioned how, so with the, I believe it's like the the Latin translation for what Julius Caesar said when he was stabbed was not a tu brute uh, or a tu brutus. It was something else, which at the time was like an idiom that was like a disrespectful kind of thing. It's like, you know, uh, it, it's basically in uh, you too, my brother or something like that. But just <laughs> contextually, it means basically, uh, you know, like you stabbed me. Well, you're also fucked. You're going to hell, too. <laughs> I'll see you in hell, sucker. Like, apparently that's like the tone that uh, he came out with. And it's like, oh, that, you know, as opposed to the kind of wishful, like, oh, betrayed even by my own best friend, as opposed to like, all right, buddy, <laughs> you'll get <laughs> you got, it. You'll get it. You too. got it coming. You'll, you'll yet, get it, too. I'll see you in hell. I'll save a seat for you. And yet Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that segues into another thing. And this, so like we're, you know, we talk about Jeremiah, but we, we're, we've we also got some other stuff to talk about. <clears throat> so this is from uh, the subreddit R Red Scare Pod from user <laughs> uh, Samund Mak. I've always maintained that Christianity really ought to be called polyanity or something of the sort. Christianity is based far more on the teachings of Paul than Jesus. Paul was someone who never knew Jesus during his life, yet called himself an apostle. Meanwhile, the actual apostles, minus Judas, were under the impression that Jesus only meant for there to be 12 and elected a 12th after the death of Judas, and whose teachings often directly contradict Jesus. For instance, in Matthew 5, 17 to 18, Jesus says, He has not come uh, not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's Paul who makes the argument that because of Christ, Christians, even Jewish Christians, don't have to follow the Torah anymore. In all but name, he abolishes the Jewish law despite direct teaching of Jesus. Uh, CF Matthew 19, where Jesus says, what do you ask about, uh, ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And in every instance, Paul disagrees with Jesus. It's Paul's teachings that are accepted by Christians, not those of Jesus. 
And then it um, uh, goes on. Therefore, whoever relaxes uh, at least one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The word for least in Matthew is, there are a bunch of Greek characters here. But apparently it also means, uh, it translates to Paul as well. (laughs) Anyway, so... (laughs) Yeah, and that's more or less it. It's just the notion that it's, you know, even then it's it's possible that when we talk about misquotings, it's possible that even, uh, the, the you know, the question we ask is, what if the the Jesus teachings that we follow and consider to be so great, what if they're actually Paul's? Yeah, and I, I remember when you sent me this, this link, and I had to think about it for a second because obviously some of the stuff that is credited to Paul, Paul didn't even write. So um, there there's a lot of... Uh, uh, presumption that everything that Paul is credited for having written, he actually wrote. And, uh, and I, but I think more importantly, the thing that I struggle with when I read this, I was like, okay, but he, he, here's what Paul is actually talking about when he's talking about, um, you know, rewriting the law. He's not talking about rewriting the law for Jews who are practicing Jews. Uh, he's talking about, uh, and, and this is something that I think most people should know, and if they don't, then they should learn about it, is that Paul was this Pharisee who was um, who was actually like uh, critical of Jesus and and wanted to um, wanted to see him punished uh, until after Jesus died and was resurrected. Uh, Paul was not on board, right? He was Jewish through and through any threat to that old, idea, this old law was a threat that he felt was a threat to him. Um, but he had these, uh, these sort of visions of Christ that God spoke to him. Um, and he was then tasked with, rather than preaching to the same people that he had been a sort of party to this whole time, he was tasked with spreading the word to Gentiles who were going to be slower to come to the church because, well, Jesus was Jewish. And a lot of his teachings were rooted in old Jewish teachings. So it was Paul's rule to say, look, these people, you know, the, the, the rules that he's coming up with aren't exactly rules, right? What he's saying is he's like relieving people. He said, you know, if you're a Gentile and you want to follow the way of Christ, you don't have to become a Jew to do that. You just have to join up with this new mission, with this new, uh, with this new thing that we have going on here, this movement. And um, I've heard like criticisms like that. I think I find are really, really interesting. And you could make the same argument as um, I think we discuss about um, Luke. I mean, yeah. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else, uh, and yet no one ever can, no one ever accuses him of of um, contradicting Jesus. Even though there are parts of like Acts and things that are like these miracles that were, I mean, incredible, uh, and and all of these. Um, all of these excursions that people were making at that time, uh, and the incredible growth of uh, the the new way, the followers of the new way, uh, they saw so much that changed everything about how they believed that faith should go, like what it meant to believe in God. Um, 
I don't know. It's fascinating. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're bringing this up though, because it is, I I think a common, a common kind of like, uh, oh, well, you know, God didn't even write the Bible. It was men. And and I'll admit to have had those kinds of thoughts before. And, and ultimately what it comes down to is, well, do you believe that men are created by God? Yeah. If you don't, then, then yeah, obviously that's going to fall on deaf ears to you. But otherwise I think it's God's like, God is speaking through people to get this message out. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I think we, we like a lot of this is stuff we've discussed again on the, the previous, uh, the, the pod on, on your, um, your episode with Hebrews, but, uh, yeah, it's like, it's a kind of an averaging out where even with like multiple translations, eventually, you know, in multiple interpretations, you average out to some kind of truth there. Like, I mean, if, if there is such a thing as kind of an absolute truth, you, you do kind of, if you're always managing to touch a little bit of it, it paints a uh, a picture. It's like um, the parable of the monks with the elephant, you know, where the the blind monks and like one they're asked to describe an elephant. One's touching the leg, one's touching the trunk, one's touching the ears. Describe this animal. It's like oh, it's like a leathery flap, and, and it's like oh, it's like a big you know, it's like a tree trunk made of leather, and so forth. And eventually, it's like it's all you know, kind of true, but uh, missing the greater greater whole. But every part is like a a part of it. And it's like a constant uncovering and discovering of it. And that would be the great mystery, right? That would be like, we think we can understand even the most, I think the most people, the people who feel the most connected to God in this world, the people who feel like they are um, more acutely in tune with what the message of, of God and, and what the teachings of Christ are in this world, there is still always going to be forever this innate separation from what is what's actually out there, what's in this realm of existence that we will never see in these bodies, that we will never really know in these bodies, unless, and maybe we'll get another major prophet. That'd be dope. I'll oh, be the yeah. first one to admit that. That'd be, that'd be dope. Um, but most of the people that say that they're prophets are, are, you know, well, they're, they're always asking for money. That's, that's yeah. the big, the big <laughs> thing. That's a big giveaway is as either if it's money or sex that they're asking for, then like you can, just kind of move on and find something else to do with your time. I don't know, play a video game instead. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 really like that's and that's the thing that I'm as I read more of the Bible and think more deeply about it is uh, more more and more of my ignorance is just kind of revealed to me like constantly like new depths of it. Everything I every page I turn every chapter I read is like wow I'm you know there's so so much that I don't know you know. <laughs> And every time we, like, anytime I go deep into anything Old Testament, I have to, like, pull out the, like, familial lineage and, like, the <laughs> history of the different tribes and stuff. Yeah, the, like, the history is actually, it's super important. I, I didn't think, because I, I feel like I should have paid way more attention because it's dull and it's dry, but there are the vegetables that make these books interesting because knowing the difference between, like, I mean, uh, it's it's Zedekiah, and then there's the other one. And Zedekiah, I think, is in Judah, and he was the one who, oh God, I think he usurped Solomon. He was one of Solomon's kids who stole his harem and chased him out. I think that was how it went, but I could be wrong on that. But like, like knowing that gives even greater flavor and understanding. It's like, oh, that's why he like hated Jeremiah and locked him up is because he's like the bad guy, he's just a bad person. Of course, he was going to do it. You know, uh, and, and you know that when Jeremiah comes to go preach in Judah, it's uh, in Jerusalem. It's like, well, that's not going to work because like we know from reading uh, Chronicles that uh, <laughs> wicked people, wicked king. 
This is one bad dude. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> a bad egg. It's a bad egg in charge. Don't There's, do it, Jeremiah. You're in danger. Stop. <laughs> Go home. So the, this issue, like, and this is this may be like more of a philosophical minded kind of turn to the conversation, but when we talk about quotations, sort of looping in this this critique of Paul and and his writing uh, in in reference to God and how he's supposed to be relaying this message of Christ, right? But then people are saying, but you're actually contradicting him. Um, You have this game of telephone being played all the way through the Bible. Um, The people who were truly pious and holy all knew the scriptures. It was largely an oral tradition before, right? But by the time of the New Testament, people were, they were kind of in the, it was kind of common knowledge, you know, people were, they were hip to it. They knew the stories, they knew the histories, they knew, um, they knew the old Psalms and, and, um, and so there's this like quotational line all throughout and the prophets are the, the one place where it's like, okay, so Moses talked directly to God mm-hmm. and, um, had these conversations and there, I think there were a couple of other people in the old Testament that did, but like, uh, Jeremiah's connection with God is almost like he's possessed. Yeah. And so he's talking through these long sections. Like if you go to, um, like 30, uh, in Jeremiah 30, like all the way through to 31 is essentially like one long, what looks like in the ESV, it looks like a poem, but I'm just imagining like, Jeremiah like convulsing and like, uh, you know, kind of like grooving through this amazing message that he's being passed through his body. Um, all the while he's, he's inserting these interjections. Oh yeah. Uh, then fear not, O Jacob, my servant declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away. And he keeps inserting this, but God is saying this, declares the Lord. And by yeah. the way, the Lord is by, by the way, this. it's not, it's not, it's not me speaking. I mean, I imagine him. I mean, it's a, it's a very tortured existence that Jeremiah lives. I mean, jumping back a bit to, I mean, um, 1510, woe is me, my mother, that you bore me a man of strife and contention. I have not lent nor have I borrowed yet. All of them curse me, you know, and then there's a thing where he, he talks about, uh, you know, why did the doctor not, uh, uh, kill me in in the womb, basically. <laughs> kind of like lamenting his his own existence because yeah, it's he's got a a bit of a, a divine touch to him. It's it's a bit like kind of like a Cassandra kind of story, right? Where uh, no one is going to believe him. We know that you know destruction is imminent. We know his destruction is imminent, and and yet yeah, he he can't help himself. He's he's uh, in a way yeah, kind of you know compelled to uh, to preach and to prophesize. And to convulse for at, at the risk of his own health and his own safety and his yeah. own life. Yeah. No, he, he has, you know, I mean, he, he doesn't have a choice. I, I'd say, you know, like Jeremiah cannot, he can't turn away from the word of God. I mean, I feel like that's, I know a couple of biblical stories. I feel like that's the message of Jonah. Like, isn't that, is, you can't turn away, right? Like, even if you try. Yeah. J- Jonah's funny because it's like, he's like this revered, um, revered person in the Bible, but he's kind of a shit for yeah. like a, l- a large portion of his presence in the Bible. It's like, you're kind of a, you're being kind of a tool, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the sections about the, the coming of the destruction of these, um, uh, of the city, 
from the north. And it obviously winding up playing out that way. There mm-hmm. is a, um, there's a parable about figs. Ooh, here we go. Did you make a note about this anywhere? I, I did. I wrote down about the figs. Yeah, it's a 24. 24. So, uh, should I just, can I just read it? Oh, please. Okay, cool. This is a good one. I'm sorry if I, if I butcher some of the names. I'm, I'm bad at some of these older names. <laughs> Uh, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, the metal workers, had brought them to Babylon. The Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, the first ripe figs, and the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs. The good figs are very good, and the bad figs are very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. And then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, who I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them out. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. But, thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad that they cannot be eaten, so I will treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, uh, to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. Dense little dense little number, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, it... Uh it's just funny, like the, the notion of the face. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I laughed. At, I, I laugh whenever. I still, I still laugh. But so good, good figs are good, right? Yeah, good figs are good. Bad figs. Bad figs are bad. Don't like them. Not, not gonna <laughs> take. No one, no one wants the bad figs. Um, so the context I think is important when because that was the way I first read this too, and and we'll go over the loincloth parable in a little bit too because I feel like that one's yeah. that one's really weird, but. I feel like that, uh, and, that one made more sense to me than this oh, one Oh, for did. sure. Yeah, metaphorically. But like, do you have to use that imagery, dude? Yeah. Um, so the good figs are good. The bad figs are bad. Yes, but God is saying that <clears throat> the good figs are actually going to be taken away. That people will see these good figs. They will, um, they will take them uh, out of the basket and they will take them away. But uh, people who see the bad figs, they go, gross. Those are nasty. I'm not going to eat those things. They leave them right there. And what God is saying with the parable, right, is that the people that actually get captured and taken away from their homes are the ones that are in, the ones that are in exile are the ones that are um, actually the most blessed. They're the ones that actually had the good in their hearts. And they're being, it's not that they're being necessarily taken away to be eaten and devoured and, and killed. They're, they're being taken away to like, uh, to be used somewhere else 
to be used for a greater cause. Where, whereas the people who are bad figs are just going to be bad figs. Like they fall on the ground. They'll probably plant another shitty fig tree and, <laughs> and no one will want those ones either. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that is what happens. It kind of um, reminds me a bit of this, uh, this Kanye quote, which is like, you know, if uh, no one's trying to use you, then that means you're useless. Which, I mean, obviously here we're doing a lot of quotations this episode, but I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, if you have good figs, like, I mean, the uh, way that this worked out is I think it was like the, the Jews who had, uh, who were like kind of wealthy were the ones who were uh, taken and captured and taken into Babylon, right? Into exile. Uh, but, um, or at least like the ones with like standing, right? But like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, the ones that. I don't know, we're, we're steadfast and good. It's like, oh, yeah, the kingdom of Babylon actually has use for you. And also there is kind of an element of like, you're not going to you're not going to want to stick around and see what happens next here. Trust me, it's a blessing to to leave, you know, it's going to get ugly. Yeah. Between this and the uh, the the fig tree that Jesus curses in the New Testament. Curses a fig tree. Yeah, uh, I, I think God hates figs. Damn. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the loincloth. Let's get yeah. this out of the way. All right. Let's talk about the loincloth. <laughs> so we're going back to basically the circumcision of the heart thing, right? And it's a similar, um, let's see. Do you have the, uh, do you have the underwear thing written down? Cause I, yeah, it's 13, 13, the, the ruined, <laughs> the ruined loincloth, the soiled <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> the Lord said to me, go and buy a linen waist cloth and put it on your loins. Do not dip it in water. So I bought a waistcloth and wore it. And then the next day, the Lord came to me and said, take the waistcloth, which you have bought, which is upon your loins, and uh, put it in the Euphrates and hide it there behind the cleft of a rock. So I went and hid it in the Euphrates as the Lord commanded. And after many days, the Lord said to me, arise, go to the Euphrates and take from there the loincloth, which I commanded you hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold... The waistcloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. <laughs> then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve and worship them, shall be like this waistcloth, which is good for nothing. For as the waistcloth clings to the loins of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. <clears throat> so the people of Judah are underwear. Yes, and Israel too. Yeah. That God's, yeah, that God is wearing, that are clinging to, rather, clinging to God. Yeah. Here is, here's where the metaphor breaks down for me. Because the, the waist cloth <laughs> detaches itself and walks away and then hides under a rock. That, true. Um, so the, the loincloth either gets separated and gets ruined that way, or one ruins one's own loincloth, as people are wont to do from time to time. Yeah. So the implication with that would be that God actually soiled these people, which I think is why it, it's important to try to pick apart, like, why is it, why did he need to go hide this in the river? To uh, wash it. And why does he not need to put it in water or like let it touch water? So I was confused by that too, but I figured it was just some, something that people did with their 
their underwear before they put it on or something. Maybe it was really hot. You know, sometimes you get a nice, cool, cool bathing suit in the sun or whatever. Nothing like a nice, dry loincloth, tell you what. (laughs) Fresh out of the dryer. Fresh out of the dryer, still warm, still still powdery. Got some talcum on. Oh, yeah, it's still green. It's just from the tree that I just, I plucked it. They all wore leaves back then. That's what loincloths were made out of. It was still mooing. <laughs> That's how new it was. <laughs> the uh, so to to hide the loincloth in in the the in a, under a rock in the Euphrates. Why the river? Did you have any idea of why that would be? I I just feel like it, it could have been any river, but it also may be the Euphrates is some kind of like pagan implications. I'm not quite sure i mean typically when i hear euphrates i like think of the mesopotamians and like uh you know gilgamesh and stuff right but i i think it was just like the notion of a river and like the point that he was kind of driving at it's like oh like a loincloth when you're wearing it is good but if you uh you know stick it under a rock it's not doing anyone any good and it's spoiled now like you can't even wear it anymore even after it tries to come back you know after a while you have to get a new loincloth which is a new generation of people so that's my theory on what that passage is about, but yeah, that seems right. Like the uh, the second that the loincloth is um, separated from your body, or you lose it somewhere, or it gets exposed to the elements. I don't know about you, but if I lost a pair of my underwear and uh, they got left outside overnight, I probably would never wear them again. I'd, I'd throw them in the laundry and just. I mean, it depends if they're good underwear, and <laughs> I don't know. I have occasionally, uh, you ever see street underwear walking around? (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, like street underwear, like underwear that's on the street. You know, maybe it's like some tidy whities that are like in the gutter or something. Yeah, I usually just assume that someone had an accident and had to get rid of them in a hurry. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. I've never, uh, I mean, with those, I've never contemplated like, hey, maybe I free underwear. But like, I've always thought like, yeah, what what compels someone to, you know... (laughs) Where do they come from? <laughs> from where? From whence these underwear? You know, they're just lost tribes. Yeah, you know, they need to get back to their god. Yeah, it's the people of Judah were all turned into underwear as part of God's, like with uh, with <laughs> Lot the and the pillars of salt. They were turned into yeah. <laughs> so they save like the last, the last two chapters, or the last second to last two chapters, are, like the longest bits of like poetic prophetic speaking um and they're super beautiful and and i don't really know that we need to because it feels like very direct i don't know that we need to like read through it but in in the summary not the summary but in chapter 52 the exactly what jeremiah has been saying is going to happen the whole time happens right yeah the temple gets burned did you by the way have you looked up the movie of the book of the prophet Jeremiah, um, starring that guy from Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> no, I I have not. I was not even aware. I'm not. I'm not a movie person. I've seen Patrick like Dempsey is his name. Oh, okay. Um, it's very odd. Um, and Dempsey is like an American. He's like doing an American voice. 
And <laughs> some of the actors that they hired are like doing like that vaguely British sounding voice yeah. that a lot of people do in, in old timey movies to like seem so, just like foreign the, enough. The transatlantic. Yeah. And then some people opted to go full like Arab Hebrew kind of accent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you have this incredible melange of like a a little bit of a, um, a little bit of every acting style, right? Some people really go ham and then other people like kind of play it a little more subtle, but at the end of the movie and and it it wraps up very quickly. um, But at the end of the movie, uh, Jeremiah comes upon the, the destroyed temple and he just kind of like turns and he goes, to, to the people that are with him, and he goes, it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... We're going to rebuild. Yeah. Hey, what? it's, it's what, I think it's 20 years that they're in exile? It's comparatively short. It's half of the time they were in Exodus from Egypt, so... They're in exile from Egypt, so that's not too bad. It's, it's getting shorter. Every time, it gets it gets a bit shorter. Guy gets a bit less angry. <laughs> that is funny, though. <laughs> like, he's surrounded by the ruins and... Just like... Uh, we're good. Yeah. Having spent, you know, however many years prophesizing about how bad it's going to be and that it happens. And he's like, you know what? It actually, hmm, doesn't feel so catastrophic. This can be fixed. New coat of paint. Yeah. It'll buff right out. We'll glue it together. Yeah. And it's a really nice, like, this is one of the, one of the few, uh, chapters or books of the old testament rather where in the final chapter there's like this neat little bow that gets placed on it yeah it's like it was all it was all good no it was it was uh, cathartic actually like i have a note here for 52 it's like finally destruction <laughs> finally the, the israel jerusalem's finally burned it's the thing that we've been waiting for and it happens and and they describe it they don't just say like, leave it up to like oh you all know the story it's like no they they go in and and uh, in, in good detail, actually. The, but the very last section from 30, like mid 31 until the end. Yeah. The king of Babylon, uh, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him, gave him a seat above the seat of kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given uh, given him by the king, according to his daily needs, until the day of his death, as long as he lived. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's and that's the funny thing, is that there's also like a bit of um, morals and being a good person is important, but also so is being king. There is an inherent moral (laughs) worth in being king that can't be ignored that I think it's in um, the days of Solomon when Absalom's brother, uh, or maybe it is Absalom, it's one one of Solomon's sons, basically uh, does a bit of a rape on his sister-in-law. And uh, so his brother finds out about that and he kills him. And then Solomon has to track down his son and uh the the, you know the avenging one and uh yeah he has to fight him and basically goes to war with him because he's like you're not supposed to kill uh your brother you know no matter no matter what you're not supposed to kill like you laid a hand on the um on royalty basically i think it's like another extension of that it's like yeah it's jehoiakim joaquin 
uh, of Judah, <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix of Judah, uh, was, you know, he was a wicked king and he imprisoned prophets and stuff. But it's like, he's still, he's the king. You have to, you can't. Uh, you got to let him sit with royalty. You got to let him sit with royalty. He's got to, he's got to be okay in the end. Like, the, you know, the king's a king. It's at the end of the game. They're like laying the seeds of like the, the, um, the unfairness of like the, the penal system in the Western world of being like, oh, you're rich. So yeah, take a I mean, you know, there, there <laughs> is, I feel, I can't help but feel, I mean, also considering, and I can't remember where I read this about the, uh, the temple and the rebuilding. Uh, I think it was in like Ezra and Nehemiah when I was like researching that about how it was like, oh yeah. And it was like the wealthy Jews who were the ones who like left uh, Jerusalem and then returned when they could. And they got the order from, uh, well, they got the order to rebuild the temple. I was going to say, it's like, oh, Xerxes? No, he wasn't the one who did it. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, Cyrus uh, to rebuild the temple. But it's like, yeah, it's like the, you know, with your, if you're rich, you'll be fine. And yeah, it seems like there is historical kind of uh, precedent for that. I mean, you could probably argue that it's like the penal system is actually it's based on like the more on the Bible's conceptions of justice than on any like enlightenment one. But but anyway, <laughs> it's beyond the scope of this of this podcast. I am uh, do very little research here and I'm not qualified to speak on it. I just found this section in Acts where uh, Paul talks to Jesus Okay. Um, I know this is unrelated to. No, we're, no, it's we're a, way off base now. <laughs> no, we're we're so off base. We've we've skipped ahead a, a couple, uh, several hundred books. We're spoiling it for me, but I'm excited. <laughs> let's let's go. Let's get a little teaser going. Uh, at twenty six fourteen, uh, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, "Saul, Saul." So Paul's name was Saul before it was Paul. Right. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Yeah, it's to the Gentiles, it's not to the Jews. Yeah, he's not yeah. talking about Jews. He's done yeah. He's done the Jewish thing. Actually, one of his contemporaries at the time said, oh, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. I love it when my learning drives me out of my mind. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> learning, learning makes you stupid. You heard it here first. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, we also we talked about it on on your episode with uh, on your podcast about how it's also like that. It, it in Hebrews it talks about the uh, like the teaching of Jesus and Jesus' sacrifice of on you know going into the tent and going into the altar. It's like oh, it's just an, it's a logical extension. It doesn't actually break any of the laws of Judaism. It's like instead of like you know sacrificing thing, it's like why would we sacrificing because of the blood, right? Well, if you know God needs the blood, then he gets it from the. Uh, the blood of his son and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's like technically, technically he's still getting it. The laws aren't broken. It's, uh, you know, just a um, weird little legal trick, right? Yeah. And that section in Hebrews like very clearly says that however good you thought you were doing with the blood sacrifices of animals, how, how much better then 
would the blood sacrifice be of God himself uh, sending his son down or son, his son as, you know, himself as his son mm-hmm. uh, down. This is where the, the Trinity thing, I yeah. think, trips people no, up. I'm, I'm not, I, <laughs> I just, I actually, I get a little nosebleed in my, I go cross-eyed whenever I try to conceive of, you know. So, the, yeah. <laughs> so how much, but how much more then? How much more uh, important and more powerful and more, um, sacrificial is the blood of Christ versus the blood of some goat. Uh, and so in the old covenant where we, we were doing pretty good, things were all right. Uh, we, we were forgiving people's sins based on how much blood they could shed, uh, spill, you know, on the mercy seat, all that's done now. We don't have to worry about that anymore because one really, really important dude died. And so now we can kind of put that, um, uh, that messy, uh, blood sacrifice thing to rest and <laughs> we can move on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. It kind of, um, I don't know. Like, do you ever, do you ever play, uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Have you ever done that before? Uh, I, I mean, a long time ago, but I haven't recently. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the morality system is, it's like very, uh, basic, but one of the things is like the notion of lawful good, which is like the, I've, I've grown to realize the best and most interesting kind of like moral kind of thing, because it's like, you have two things that you need to balance. One of them is lawful. You need to obey the law, but the other one is like, you have to be good and good is kind of like an abstract, but like you can kind of come to a conclusion here. And like the, uh, Jesus offering himself up in the tent of heaven is like, that's a lawful good action where it's like, you're obeying the law of the Jews, but it's also, it's good because you're not you know, no, no longer will we need to burn, uh, burn calves or burn bulls or like, you know, do the bloodletting. Like that's, that's over. We no longer need to kill. The, the killing is done uh, as, a, as a kind of self-sacrifice. You know, the blood is, is up there and it's like, oh, you, you're doing both. That's the real balancing act is finding a way to do both, you know, because it's like, it's easy to kind of be like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever happens to be like good. Or I'm just, oh, I'm just going to follow the rules. But like finding a way to mesh the two and do both is, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's, uh, it's incredibly satisfying, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, it closes the loophole, right? It closes this ability for people to be like, I'm only, I'm only like committing adultery through a hole in a sheet. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I, I can I can do this thing because I'm doing this other thing and the, yeah. and and Jesus being like no we're we're gonna be done with that now yeah. uh, it kind of go it kind of closes that little loophole of people being able to kind of phone it in although you know as we discussed in the um, in the last episode people phone it in all the time yeah. <laughs> they really do no, and, and they're going through day, the yeah. motions just as much now as as they went through then. But I mean, the nice thing is, uh, at least you can always come back. Like, I mean, that's the thing in, in Jeremiah. Like at any time they could have, uh, you know, renounced their wicked ways and they would have been spared. Damn, he gave them so many chances. Right? They, they, they <laughs> did have. I mean, I don't know what uh, his little, how long he was on tour prophesizing, <laughs> but I imagine a good many years where it's just like, oh, it's this guy. Again. I mean, I, I do like that he was banned from the king's chambers because it was like, oh, this guy again. And that's why he got a scribe to like inscribe a new like a prophecy of destruction and then got the scribe to go in and read him this important verse of the king was so mad, ripped it up and threw it on fire. (laughs) (laughs) It was like just that image to me was very funny. It's like, oh, he doesn't want to hear this. eh? Well, I've got to send someone else to do it. You know? (laughs) Yeah, he really did give them so many opportunities to to listen. And they just they just wouldn't do it. But I mean, there's there's a section in 14 
13 that's titled like lying prophets and they talk about this a few times in in the first dozen or more um, chapters there were a lot of people who were preaching at the time as prophets they were saying that they were prophets that they were passing along the word of god and i'm sure for uh, people who were in power it must have been very difficult for them in some way or another to go well how do i know this one's real yeah well i mean that's, how do i know this one's right that's that's the eternal question i mean it also comes up in deuteronomy i think we talked about this is like uh, they talk about oh n- don't not listen to prophets of god but also never listen to the not like the people who aren't prophets or claim to be prophets of god you know and it's like you'll be punished if you listen to the wrong guys and rewarded if you listen to the right guys but how do you how do you know how do you know the difference between the two and it's just like it's never clear so i mean it's it's kind of understandable like if you saw someone today who was like the world is going to end you know like if we don't change our wicked ways Actually, you know what? There are people still doing that outside. You just log on to like, I don't know, like they're, they're on Twitter prophesizing the end of the world uh, <laughs> imminently. And they could be, they could be prophets. Like one of them out of those, however many may, might be, they might be right. But how are you going to know? You don't know until the city's destroyed. Yeah. And then, and then those prophets are going to be smugly going, I told you. Yeah. But I mean, you know what? If you're a good fig, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> You just gotta be a, a good, a, a good fresh fig. Yeah, and that's and that's I, I think that's the thing is it's like yeah you you know on the one hand like yeah it's good to listen to the prophets and stuff but on the other hand yeah if, I, clearly if you just if you uh, focus on your own righteousness and you're all about your own your own bag and your own basket of, of figs then um, things turn out okay or you yeah. can be king you could be king and you can kind of just do whatever you want and that's fine too. Yeah, cl- uh, clean the loincloth of your heart. Yeah, exactly. Well, that seems a good place to to end it on. Sure. Do you have anything else that you want to want to bring up? Any other notes? Uh, no, that was all the little the little pieces that I felt like I wanted to talk about. Obviously, read the Bible, everybody. <laughs> it's it's really long. I know that it seems daunting and confusing, and I'm sure this conversation in and of itself is probably a little bit confusing. Uh, but yeah, you, need, you need to listen to the, the first part on uh, Transcript Snoopy Presents the Bible, episode uh, Hebrews 9. Absolutely. You need and to as, well, to that you know, as we said, open the Bible anywhere and you're going to find something that's relevant to something. You know, you're going to find some good advice. You're going to find some cool story. You're, you're going to get intrigued by something that's going to send you down some rabbit hole of research that uh, ultimately you'll, you'll probably be better for it. So. Yeah, no, honestly, it's I'm consistently surprised by how it, uh, entertaining and yeah, I don't know, weirdly fulfilling that the Bible is. I mean, I don't know that I should be considering it's one of the most widely read and influential books in certainly Western culture of the past 2000 years. But I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, reading through it firsthand, you get that, you get that experience. <laughs> so read your Bibles. Read your Bible, man. Thanks for having me on. This was, uh, I, this, I'm glad we got to like tie up our, speaking of tying things up with a nice little, nice little bow. I'm glad that we got to, to, to readdress the Hebrews question and, uh, and talk about Jeremiah a little bit. No, absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on again. I mean, I would, I'd have you on a whole lot more. You're, you know, one of my, certainly one of my, more. I don't want to say like to, to denigrate other guests, but like, I don't know. You're one of my most knowledgeable guests, I guess. Because, I mean, you have like five Bibles or something like that that you're always consulting. 
Yeah. And, and really I, I have, I think four physical ones, but I'm always reading the Bible app too, by the way, if you get the chance to, and I don't know how often you listen to, to like audio transcriptions of it, but the message, uh, like audio Bible message, translation, audio Bible for Jeremiah is hilarious. <laughs> okay. And I shouldn't be describing anything. In the Bible is hilarious, but the way it's written is hilarious. There, there's a lot, listen. there's a lot of funny stuff in the Bible. No one's willing to talk about how funny, how funny it is. You know, you gotta I mean, laugh. go, go up Baldy. How can you not laugh at go up Baldy? It's, <laughs> I don't know. It's a funny section. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, um, everyone go, please check out, uh, trans regret Snoopy presents the Bible. I will uh, link that as well in the pod description. Uh, Thank you for coming on. And to all my Bible buddies out there, I love you. Thy presence.